Let us say the Shema together. This is a prayer that Jesus would have said every day of his life. So we join in this prayer with Jesus. Shema Israel. Adonai Adonai. Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Please be seated. Is that me? Is that me? Seated. The uh, scripture this morning is Luke 18, 9 through 14. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on others, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I am glad that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers and adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I tie the tenth of all I have. But the tax collector stood back at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, will go home sat justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God. As Jesus uh, continues his journey to Jerusalem, he had set his face, determined For his journey to the cross, he tells a story about two people praying in the temple. One's a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. A part of this parable to teach us is that the words that we say in prayer are important, but even more important is the condition of our heart. On the surface, we can assume the moral of this story is to be humble. And we can easily judge the Pharisee for being a self-righteous hypocrite. But as soon as we judge the Pharisee, the parable becomes tricky. It becomes a trap for us. For we are no longer humble. We are now self-righteous hypocrites. Perhaps our prayer would be, Lord, we thank you that we are not like other people. Righteous, overly pious self-righteous, or even like this Pharisee. We come to church once a week, or, or thereabouts, or we, li- we listen and we read scripture. And from this parable, we have learned that we should always be humble. So what, what do we do to avoid this self-congratulatory attitude that this parable seems to speak against. It may help to know that everything that the Pharisee says is true. The the Pharisees were a group of individuals in the first century Judaism that wanted to obey 
God's laws to the letter as fully as possible. They were diligent about fasting and tithing and prayer. The Pharisees would set themselves apart from others by their faithful adherence to the law. They had the Torah. It was very important to them. It was very important to their identity, to their place within the temple, and by his, his uh, standards. So by his standards, he was righteous. Because remember what Luke says in 18.1, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. The Pharisees wanted to believe that the way they did things were the right way. They were following the laws given by God, and the law was to bring them closer to God. They wanted to believe that they were better than other people's because they adhered to the law. They wanted to believe that they were a part of an exclusive club, a club sinners could never be a part of, especially not tax collectors. The Pharisees' prayer of gratitude is really not a prayer to God. It's really a prayer about himself and his own accomplishments. It's entirely about his actions. To the Pharisee, the tax collector was worse than an adulterer. But unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector didn't have anything to claim righteousness. The Pharisee had the law to obey, but the tax collector had no means by which to claim his righteousness. For this reason, he stood back, hardly daring to approach the temple. He throws himself on the mercy of the Lord. God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. You might remember that that's a Jesus prayer that we often use during Lent. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. So here's the essential contrast. One makes a claim to righteousness based on his own accomplishments, while the other relies entirely upon the Lord's mercy. Rather than being grateful for his blessings, the Pharisee appears smug at the point of despising others. In his mind, there are two kinds of people. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. And he's grateful that he has declared himself righteous. The tax collector, on the other hand, isn't so much humble as desperate He's too overwhelmed by his plight to divide humanity into sides. All he recognizes as he stands near the temple is his own great need. Therefore, he stakes his hopes and claims not on anything that he has done or deserved, but entirely on the mercy of God. As I was doing this study, I wondered why was the tax collector so reviled in the Bible? Well, it's obvious. None of us really like to pay taxes. But these taxes were given in the first century to a Roman oppressive government. The tax collectors were Jews. 
and they were getting taxes from their Jewish brothers and sisters to give to the Roman government for their own oppression. It was a badge of servitude. The tax collectors were Jews, and they were working for the hated Romans. The taxes that they collected were above and beyond what was expected. A governor in a, in a province would say, this is the amount of tax that I want. And the tax collector would go out to collect it, but he would collect more than the governor had, had wanted, and he would skim off the top. So he would take that money and use it for himself and often become very rich. Tax collectors often lived a very lavish lifestyle on the backs of the lower classes and the poor. And it was common knowledge that they collected taxes this way. According to rabbinic tradition, there was no hope for a tax collector. They were excluded from all religious fellowship, including anything in the temple or the synagogue. Their money was considered tainted, and it defiled anyone who accepted it. They did not want the tax collector to give alms in the synagogue or to give temple uh, tithing to the temple. It was considered unclean. The rabbis had no word to describe any sort of help for the tax collector. There was ancient Jewish writings that reveal interesting views. One of them said, As one robber disgraced his whole family, so one tax collector in a family. So not only were you disgraced yourself, but you disgraced your family as a tax collector. And then here comes Jesus. The attitude of Jesus is in stark contrast to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were separatist and did not lower themselves to have anything to do with tax collectors. But Jesus came not to condemn anyone. He never taught that there was anything inherently wrong with giving tribute to the Roman government. Actually, he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus made himself a friend of all men. He made a friend of tax collectors and harlots. He set a new president, which was shocking, to accept and associate with tax collectors. You'll recall the Pharisees asking his disciples, why is he eating with tax collectors? Because he ate with them, he offered salvation to them, and he made a tax collector one of his disciples. Who was that? Matthew, right? Matthew was a tax collector. The Pharisees could offer a list of rules to the tax collector, but they couldn't offer them any hope or any salvation. Jesus offers forgiveness and the hope for a new life. It's not by chance that the setting of this parable is within the temple, because within the temple grounds, you knew who you were, 
what your status was and what you could expect from God. In the temple, there were the insiders and the outsiders. And according to these rules, there was no question as to where the Pharisee and the tax collector stood. As soon as we fall prey to the temptation to divide humanity into any kind of groups, we align ourselves squarely with the Pharisee. Whether our divisions are between righteous and unrighteous, whether humble or self-righteous, Jews against Christians, Christians against Jews, Muslims against Christians, whenever we do this, we draw a line between who's in and who's out. And this parable asserts that you will most likely find God on the people that you consider out. This parable is about a pious Pharisee, and it is about a desperate tax collector. But there's another person in this parable, and that's God. This parable is about God and God's mercy. Only God can judge the human heart. And God is the one who justifies the ungodly. At the end of the story, the Pharisee will leave the temple. He came up righteous. He'll go home righteous. The tax collector, however, will leave the temple and go back to his home justified. Part of me wonders if he, knew, if he knows that, as he, as that his prayer was answered, that God pours mercy and justifies him. He's accounted righteous. By the Holy One of Israel. Now the tax collector, he makes no sacrifices. He can't make any kind of restitution. So on what basis is he made righteous? By the mercy of God. By God's divine grace. It's important for us, I think, when we read this parable, that we find ourselves once again with nothing to claim to make ourselves righteous, that we are all totally and completely dependent upon the mercy of God. I think when this happens, when we forget, if only for a moment, our human constructed divisions and stand before God aware only of our need, like the tax collector, he simply came with his need. When we come before God with our need, then we too are justified by the Holy One of Israel. We are justified by the God of Jesus Christ. There is this running theme within Luke about, compa- about Jesus' compassion for the outcast, the harlots, the tax collectors, the sinners. Luke presents this universal invitation of the gospel. These are stories. This is one of them. That the outcast find grace in Jesus' eyes. The tax collector went up to the temple. 
and he, he only had his need. When he walked away from the temple, he was justified. He was made different because that's what Jesus does. He comes into our lives. He pours in his mercy and he gives us new life. I encourage you to remember when you may have received mercy. When Jesus gives his life on the cross, it is this running, continuous flow of mercy that comes to us from the cross. That's all. That's everything. And you know, we know this because we are blessed, but it's important that we share this with the world because the world doesn't know. The world has anxiety. But through the mercy that we have received from God, we can pour that mercy out into other people. Mercy is God's response to us, uh, to us, then through us and beyond us, we can share that with others. I invite you to simply take a moment to think about the times that you cried out to God and received his mercy and that you can share that mercy with others. Amen.